0: Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa. Buddhaṁ dhammaṁ saṅkhaṁ namasāmi. on this um, unique Katina festival day. I'm very happy to uh, uh, be invited to share some reflections on Dhamma. Uh, it might be surprising to people, but this is the first Dhamma talk I've given at a Katina here at Damravati. <laughs> Every other year that I, I, I've been here, there's always been a, a senior person, a senior monk who's come and uh, offered the teachings and led the ceremonies. Um, so uh, this is a unique occasion for me as well. So uh, uh, it's a um, uh, a good opportunity also to consider why this is a u- unique katina, so few people. Normally at this point the the temple would be uh, crammed wall to wall with everybody and uh, extra people over in the sala listening in and watching on the screen over there. Uh, but uh, here we are in the temple. Those of you uh, who are watching this on the, the cameras, maybe you can see there's just a, a handful of people socially distanced here uh, in the temple. just a handful of nuns and monks here also. One of the, the things, just talking with His Excellency the uh, the Ambassador um, about the what we've things that we've learnt through the COVID uh, pandemic and how life um, having been different during these times, uh, one of the uh, the things that his um, uh, say most impactful or most striking uh, to me is how the heavenly messengers have been unavoidable. Uh, oftentimes uh for and not just uh, in the the uh the uh, outside society inside, in the the ordinary lay world but also within the monastery we can get very complacent we can get very used to having our jobs our family our routines we we go where we want to we do the kind of things we like to do and um the, the issues of uh, old age and sickness and death and the uh, the fragile nature of life uh, are very much pushed to the edges. And uh, th- this is not new in this current age. This was also happening uh, back in the time of the Buddha. But uh, that kind of complacency, taking things for granted, is, is very, very common in our lives. And one of the, uh, uh, in a way, the, the strange blessings of the pandemic is that, we can't avoid the messengers, the, the the heavenly messengers, messengers, the Devadutta, as the Buddha called them. We can't avoid them because our, so, uh, almost every aspect of our lives, both within the monastery, around the monastery, has been if, uh, affected by the impact of, of this disease. We've had to close the gates to, to visitors. We have... Uh, the uh, uh, face coverings, these ma- uh, breathing masks that we have to to wear much of the time, uh, the the distance apart we have to stand, uh, sit from e- each other, and uh, not to mention the the uh, the number of people who've uh, caught the illness, who've died from the illness, uh, and the economic impact. So many businesses have folded. Um, as, uh, so many lives have been greatly disrupted, so we can't ignore uh, the messenger i don 't think you could go anywhere either in the u k or probably most countries of the world and say uh, and find someone and you could say to them "Coronavirus and they 'd say, "What is that?" <laughs> I think everywhere in the world people will recognize uh, coronavirus or, or covid nineteen so that uh uh, that is something that the Buddha encouraged us to do: was to to notice those messengers, the, the deva-dutta, and to listen to the message that, that they bring. Uh, in in this respect, uh, it's it's interesting that the the Buddha called old age, sickness, and death, and then the the renunciant, the the um, the fourth of the heavenly messengers, he called them heavenly deva. They are, they're divine, they're, uh, uh, and so why would he use a word like that to describe them? Most people would think of old age, sickness, and death as hellish messengers. They're samrap narok. They're, they're kind of uh, dangerous, painful. Uh, they have the attributes of, of hell and difficulty and pain. So why would the Buddha call them heavenly? Uh, and uh, to, to me it hinges uh, around the fourth messenger the the spiritual seeker uh, as people might know when the uh, the uh, when these are talked about old age sickness and death were the, the things that according to the legends uh, the the bodhisattva encountered when he left the palace and went exploring with his charioteer channa and he saw uh, first of all uh, uh, an aged person or bent over and and, uh, and crippled by age uh, a sick person uh, and then a dead body And he'd never, according to the legends, he'd never seen uh, old age or sickness or death before. And then his uh, charioteer, Channa, said, oh, this this happens to everyone. Yeah, we're all subject to this. And then the, the fourth of the messengers... That they encountered was a wandering yogi, a, a summoner, a seeker, and the Buddha, uh, as a bodhisattva, as a as a prince, said, "Well, what, what is this person doing? What? Why, why are they dressed so differently? Why are they uh, so, somehow living in a a, a way that's so such uh, so, so much of a contrast to everybody else? Uh, what's this person doing?" And then China said to to, uh, to the Bodhisattva, "Oh, this person is is seeking the deathless. They are are a samana, a, a yogi, one who is looking to transcend the wheel of birth and death." So uh, some of uh, the the legends tell these stories, and uh, the. Um, uh, the symbol comes down to us of these four heavenly messengers. And the, the fourth one is, in a way, the solution to the first three, I would say. That, that's why uh, they are heavenly, in that uh, the, the presence of aging and sickness and death, they, they wake us up. They help us to stop being complacent. To stop taking things for granted, so that even though we might have our family and our business and our responsibilities, our, our monastery to run, they're telling us that uh, uh, this is all very fragile. This is all, uh, uh, say, subject to change. This, this is not under our individual control. So you know, wake up. Look at look at what it is that your mind is fixed on. Look at the things that you make valuable or precious, and what really matters in life. What uh, Are the important things, and so that uh, that uh, the symbol of the summoner or the religious seeker, it it doesn't mean just taking up monastic life, but it's more a symbol of looking within, looking at your own values, looking at the things that you make uh, important in your life, and uh, and so uh, the Buddha encourages that, and to to uh, say. to help us to consider what really is valuable uh, to us what really helps us in, in life and that uh, in seeing what is really valuable uh, and i would say that what really is valuable is a uh, a, a mind that is awake a, a heart that is pure and and is uh, uh, generous uh, unselfish uh, that is what we realize that's what we uh, that's what we awaken to there's a very beautiful dialogue between the Buddha and King Pasenadi, King of Kosala, um, and uh, uh, when they were both reaching their old age. One time, the uh, uh, King Pasenadi came to see the Buddha, and uh, the uh, the Buddha um, uh, asked him, "You know, where have you come from, great king? What have you been doing?" And and he said, "And King Pasenadi King uh, Pasenadi says, 'Oh, just the usual kind of things that monarchs are, are the uh, monarchs who are obsessed with power and and authority, obsessed with sense pleasure, uh, the the kind of things that kings are, are are caught up with, all that sort of.'" Uh, rulership stuff, uh, and he's quite dismissive of his, of his own role as a king and and um, uh, the uh, uh, the Buddha says <laughs> to him and um, that uh, what would you do, great king, if you heard if you got a messenger they came to you from the north and said there's a huge mountain as high as the clouds uh, moving down to you from the north and there's a, another messenger came from the east and from the south and from the west and each of those messengers had the same message they said there's a huge mountain as high as the clouds moving towards you inexorably unstoppably crushing everything beneath them uh, what would you do uh, how would you how would you relate to that and the king says, well, Venerable Sir, what I would do, what could, what could I do except to, to practice the Dhamma, to, to live righteously and to carry out acts of, of, of generosity and acts that were meritorious and, and beneficial. What else could I do other than to, to walk in the way of the Dhamma? And the Buddha praises him for that, says, "Good, good. <laughs> well, good, great king, this is this is very good. What else is there to do except to to practice the Dhamma and to to live wisely, to live righteously, and to carry out uh, acts of uh, that are meritorious and beneficial? So that uh, uh, the, the, the Buddha said, uh, because great King, uh, aging and death, are rolling in on you. They're moving in on you from 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 each side. Uh, this is this is uh, unstoppable. It's coming towards you. That these uh, these great mountains that crush everything before them are heading in your direction. Uh, they are they are unstoppable. The process of aging and death. So in the face of that, then what is there to do uh, except to to practice the Dhamma, to live wisely, and to to carry out acts uh, of uh, of generosity, to acts that are, are meritorious. So I feel this is a, a very good, say, uh, uh, informative dialogue. In the as we are here now in, in the in the UK and around the world, the uh, the mountains <laughs> have encroached upon us. They they, uh, they have arrived, and the uh, sickness and death are, are very close and unavoidable. And so, what is the message that that they bring? That uh, and and why is that heavenly? Uh, it's because that the the mind is caused to let go of its worldly concerns, its worldly interests, and instead, rather like King Pasenadi uh, wisely reflected, says, "Well, that being the case, what else is there to do? What's what's more important than practicing the Dhamma, living living wisely, and carrying out a- a meritorious acts, doing things that are beneficial, helpful, and and uh, that are the are." Uh, acts that generate Punya boon uh, in our lives it helps us to the the the, uh, the messengers even though they have a a very uh, off putting aspect of sickness and and death they are very challenging or threatening uh, they're heavenly because they help us to to re Uh, reshape our priorities they help us to live in a way that bring about those heavenly states of mind because when we we make uh, living in in accordance with dhamma uh, carrying out meritorious acts uh, we make that the priority we see that that is valuable and and, uh, important for us to do then that brings a brightness to the heart that is the 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 kind of deva the 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 bright quality uh, of the of the heart of the mind is strengthened is empowered through acts of kindness and goodness and so that uh, I feel this is one of the reasons why the Buddha called these the the heavenly messengers even though they they might not look very heavenly <laughs> they don't look like sort of shining devas sickness and death are, are kind of threatening or off-putting in some ways but if they are received and understood, and and it's recognised you know, how that fits into our life, then the result of that is a brightening of the heart. That we are we are able to let go of the the sort of superficial or or um, say uh, uh, activities and interests that are, are maybe entertaining or exciting or interesting, but don't really have a lot of value. They don't really bring any kind of great benefit there. They're not anything that is truly valuable in an, in an ongoing way. Uh, Katina time is a time of, uh, of offering, of uh, generosity. So we uh, have these many, many material offerings. Uh, this, uh, this kind of dana is called amisa dana. Amisa means material or... Uh, uh, the, the kind of uh, physical offerings that uh, uh, Yom Pam and uh, His Majesty uh, the, the King have, uh, uh, have offered to support this monastery and, and all your friends and family and others who've joined together sent in the, the different offerings. So amisa dana is that material support and that this is a very significant kind of generosity and a way of creating generating merit and uh, living skillfully, uh, acting in accordance with, with Dhamma. So, Satu uh, to, anumodana to all of you for the material offerings, and that the uh, Amravati could not keep going without this kind of help. Um, uh, the uh, There's a big place, there's a lot of people live here, uh, we have a lot of uh, buildings and we have a, a big uh, rebuilding program, we have a, a high overhead, even when we try to keep it low. It's still challenging. So the amisa dana element is extremely important. <laughs> uh, but uh, along with that, the, that dimension of material offerings, the Buddha also talked about other kinds of dana, other kinds of generosity. And the second kind, which he he uh, spoke about as being superior to amisa dana. To material offerings is what is called abhayadana or the giving of fearlessness. Abhiya is fear. Abhiya is fearlessness. So abhayadana So, I, and I feel it's it's good to reflect upon that as well. Uh, earlier today, um, the 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 lay community, uh, when we began this gathering, you de- uh, determined the three refuges and the five precepts. So there's a particular teaching, a sutta, where the the Buddha talks about the five precepts. He calls them the five Mahadana, the great gifts. And oftentimes, when we think about the precepts, uh, we think of them as limitations. You know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, and uh, a way of fencing us in, uh, or a set of, uh, of uh, say, limitations that. it's It's useful to have them, but we think of them as as a, a say a containment. But uh, I feel it's very uh, interesting to reflect on why did the Buddha call them gifts, the, the five great gifts. and uh, and when he explains this, he, he talks about it in terms of uh, of uh, this quality of fearlessness, abhayadana. He said, well, if, you, if you take the precept of refraining from killing uh, other beings, then by that determination, by that dedication in your own heart, then you relieve uh, countless other beings you, uh, from, uh, from danger. You, uh, you are giving them the gift of freedom from anxiety, freedom from distress, uh, yeah, freedom from fear. And in turn, you also bring to yourself freedom from anxiety, freedom from distress uh, uh, accordingly. Similarly, if you don't steal, if you don't take things that are not given, or you you don't engage in sexual misconduct, you don't lie, you don't use intoxicants, then uh, by that, uh, that act, you are giving others around you a uh, freedom from fear, a freedom from anxiety. If people know that you don't lie, they don't have to be worried when you're talking to them that you're you're going to be deceiving them. Uh, if you if they know that you don't steal, they they're going to feel at ease because you're not going to try and cheat them of anything. And so, you are uh, you are providing freedom from fear. And so, I, I feel that's very uh, very helpful to consider uh, that. Uh, the keeping the precepts is a, is a gift. <laughs> it's a it's a kind of generosity uh, that it makes you say help to contribute to a a benign and helpful atmosphere around you. People know they can trust you if you say something that they know that you haven't got a, a hidden agenda or that you're not trying to get something from them or you're trying to to uh, to hide something from them, so that they can be at ease. And that's a, a very wonderful thing that we can contribute Even with social distancing and the limitations of contact that we have each other now during this pandemic, uh, I feel that uh, that kind of dana that kind of generosity is uh, uh, is not to be ignored. And uh, that, uh, I, yeah, I feel, is a, a very skillful way of looking at, at the precepts. Yeah. It's also interesting, there are many Thai people gathered here today, uh, and so I'm very glad to, to have so many of you on site uh, on this special occasion. And uh, it, it was interesting when uh, we established the monastery in California. Uh, we uh, I chose the name Abhayagiri for the monastery, uh, and the uh, uh, that is a name of an ancient monastery in Sri Lanka. And part of the reason that uh, I uh, I chose that that name. Was uh, that the half of the land of Abhayagiri Monastery was given to us by a, a, a Chinese uh, monk, uh, Master Shuanhua, and um, the uh, and he had a very large community of uh, of Buddhist nuns as well as Buddhist monks. About a city of ten thousand Buddhas, it was about twenty miles away from Abhayagiri Monastery, and so the about there's about five times as many nuns as monks in that that monastery opposite to Amaravati. <laughs> We have more monks than nuns here, but uh, there, the, the balance is the other way around. And so uh, Master Hua donated this land, 120 acres of land, to, uh, to Ajahn Sumato to help us start a monastery in California. So I wanted to find a name that somehow uh, was traditional Pali name, but also reflected our connection with the, the Chinese community. So uh, I had read a little bit of Buddhist history, and I found out that the, the nun's order in China had originally come from Sri Lanka. And they came, the nuns that went to, to China from Sri Lanka came from a branch of Abhayagiri Monastery in Sri Lanka, which was an ancient major temple in Sri Lanka. And also Abhayagiri Monastery um, in Sri Lanka, the ancient place that was founded about 2,000 years ago, um, it was known for welcoming the practitioners from different traditions, different Buddhist traditions. So you had Theravada, Mahayana, Vajrayana practitioners all living and, uh, and working there together. It was known as that kind of, uh, uh, of a meeting place. And so that uh, uh, I thought, well, since this this uh, monk from the Chinese tradition has made this very very generous offering to uh, to our community in a gesture of helping to bring the northern tradition and the southern tradition closer together, uh, uh, if we chose the name Apayagiri, it would reflect that kind of um, ecumenical, if that's not too long a word, <laughs> that kind of uh, um, say that kind of a meeting point uh, between traditions, and also would reflect uh, the um, uh, the the connection that uh, the Chinese Buddhist community has with Sri Lanka through the the, the nuns who came from the uh, the uh, I think it was the Lalita Vihara was a, a branch of Abhayagiri that went to uh, went to China anyway so we chose the name Abhayagiri and then when Thai people came to visit they say oh uh, so the the name means forgiveness mountain huh say, because in, in the Thai language as uh, people know uh, the Thai people know at least that uh, uh, Apai Apai, forgive my bad pronunciation, means forgiveness. But uh, it comes from the Pali, Abhaya, meaning fearless. It's the same word, but uh, it's so that the meaning has drifted a little bit from fearlessness to forgiveness. But they are related. Uh, and this is another um, aspect, I think, of Abhaya dhāna, is uh, it's about carrying around grudges. If you understand, patika in, in Pali, that sense of if you have negative feelings towards someone and you carry them around, someone in your family or someone in the workplace, someone uh, that, uh, yeah, maybe an old school teacher who treated you badly and you, you kind of carry them around and you, you nurse these feelings of negativity and, and uh, how you've been betrayed or hurt and, and uh, you don't want to, to, to let that go so apahi uh, uh, and the asking for forgiveness ko apai is a big part of our tradition and our, our customary practice and at the end of the pansa we just f- finished the pansa the rains retreat here and there's a ceremony of asking for forgiveness uh, at the end of the the pansa and so that that uh, uh, that uh, i think uh, it's good to to bear in mind with abhayadana. it's also uh, if you don't carry grudges around if you don't have that negative feeling uh, of towards other people again, you are giving them the gift of fearlessness they don 't have to to tighten up when you walk in the room oh it 's her again <sighs> that you don 't have to be anxious uh, uh, when you meet people that you're not carrying around uh, any kind of negative feelings or, or their sense of of a judgment or a fixed opinion about someone that maybe you've had an argument with, or they've spoken in a bad way to you, or they've cheated you, or something. So that I feel that along with Abhayadana coming from the precepts that Abhayadana is the readiness to forgive. And I think it's very much in the spirit of, of Katina and the spirit of offering and the kindness and generosity, giving people the space to not be perfect, forgiving people for having done stupid things or, be, or acted in ways that are hurtful or have let you down or mistreated you. Uh, you're not pretending that you like it, but you're also not punishing yourself as well by carrying that around. So I feel that's also a very important kind of, of generosity to practice, to really high up high, if that's the correct terminology, to, to, to offer, to give uh, forgiveness. And also in the English word forgive, the word give is right there in the middle of it. And that is not an accident, it's like, it's, it is like it's a giving. So I feel that uh, to, uh, to see where we uh, carry people around, or we, we have those particular painful memories, for each of us to see that, oh yeah, there's uncle so-and-so, oh yeah, my brother. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, my, uh, that, the boss that I used to have, whenever I hear his name. Uh, you know, just to notice that and to, to consider, can I let that person go? Can I no longer carry them around? The, uh, of the, these kinds of giving that the, 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 the Buddha spoke about, the, the highest kind of giving is called dhammadana as he says um, in the in the teaching jinati of all the kinds of generosity of all the kinds of gifts the uh, the the gift of dhamma conquers all the others jinati means to conquer or to it sort of comes out on top so uh, again on this occasion uh, I, uh, I think it's good to consider the the gift of dhamma and uh, to to uh, reflect on why is that something so highly praised by the Buddha. Why would he say that kind of gift of Dhamma is, uh, is uh, the supreme kind of gift? So uh, oftentimes when you, you, we see those words, it's often printed in the front of a Dhamma book and someone has uh, say uh, uh, has sponsored the printing of a Dhamma teaching and, and that is you know, very valuable and we're very appreciative of, amongst the offerings for this katina. We've received quite a few Dhamma books and uh, we make quite a bit of effort to produce Dhamma literature uh, and to, to spread that around. But I would suggest that Dhammadana is not just uh, printing Dhamma books, and it's not just uh, giving teaching, giving verbal teachings. Certainly that is part of it, and uh, and I would say that I I, I can't uh, guess uh, exactly what was in the mind of the Buddha. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be so... Um, presumptuous as to to say I, I know what the buddha was thinking but uh, one of the reasons why the buddha would say Sabadhanang, Dhamma Dhanang jinati that the gift of dhamma is the greatest gift is that uh, he saw that that was um, something extraordinary uh, and unique in the in the human world uh, well, humans and devas is the uh, the effect of the dhamma teachings uh, in the kevada sutta at the beginning of the Kevada Sutta in the Diga Nikaya, the Buddha says that there's two kinds of miracle. There's two kinds of Abhinihan. There's the miracle of psychic power, like reading people's minds or flying through the air or or, or looking into past lives. So that's one kind of miracle, is the miracle of psychic power. The other kind of miracle is the miracle of instruction, of (laughs) so on, explaining Dhamma, teaching Dhamma. And he said, of these two, the miracle of instruction is the superior. Uh, and that uh, you might think that you know, flying through the air or reading people's minds is pretty, pretty far out, pretty incredible and pretty amazing. And, and you, know, you, you might think, well, I've heard hundreds of Dhamma talks, but I've never read, read anybody's mind. <laughs> I've never flown through the air. So yeah, that would be much more impactful. But again, the Buddha doesn't choose his words casually. He chose these words, I feel, very, very specifically, uh, because in the teaching Dhamma, uh, if you, you read in the suttas or if you know from your own experience, uh, the listening to Dhamma teachings, the people could hear the word of the Buddha or word of the great disciples, and then through hearing that teaching, their heart could be liberated. It could be a, to enter the stream, to be a stream enterer, to be a once-returner, a non-returner, or even realize arahantship just by hearing a Dhamma talk. And so over and over again, hundreds of times, uh, for lay people uh, and uh, monastics as well, hearing the sound of the Dhamma, hearing the words, uh, the the hearing of the words, receiving the words, understanding them, can bring about a change of heart that irreversibly, uh, uh, say, brings into being a realization of truth, of Dhamma. It liberates the heart through hearing the Dhamma. So the Buddha said, that's a miracle. That That's uh, something to be really amazed at. And that's far more uh, important than flying through the air. <laughs> that's a, a greater miracle that you can hear the sound of some words that it can impact the heart. And like, oh my goodness, it, that's what that means. Aha! And in that aha, our life can be irreversibly changed for the better. We can see things... Uh, Say in a way that is truly liberating, and um, and so uh, I would say that's a, that's a really helpful way of understanding Dhammadana. Uh, another way of understanding it, and maybe the the last thing I'll, I'll share uh, today is um, that uh, uh, when we we talk about uh, say dhammadaana or the giving of dhamma. Then we usually think of that in terms of words, you know, the, the, the verbal teachings of Dhamma. But there, there are, I feel there's other ways to look at it uh, as well. So, for example, um, uh, I was mentioning um, yesterday there was this uh, a. Um, uh, A teaching in the Asutas is in the Anguttara Nikaya, um, where the the Buddha describes a a, a previous life of his where he was a a Brahmin in the city of Vilama, and he made this enormously uh, abundant offering 84,000 golden pots filled with silver, 84,000 silver pots filled with gold, 84,000 elephants and you know, horses, and it's <laughs> a massively abundant offering, like billions and billions of pounds worth of, of offerings. And he said, that even though that was an extremely meritorious offering, that more meritorious than that is to take refuge in the Triple Gem. It's a long, long sequence of different things he describes. This is the short version. <laughs> so far more meritorious is to take refuge in the triple gem. More meritorious than taking refuge in the triple gem than that hugely abundant material offering is to practice the five precepts. Uh, more, uh, more meritorious than keeping the five precepts is to practice loving kindness, to, to generate the heart of loving kindness for the time that it takes to milk a cow. It's about twenty minutes, and said, uh, and then at the end of the sutta, he says, "But even more meritorious than that is to maintain in being the insight uh, in into impermanence, the perception of an anicca, anicca sanya just for a finger snap. So that is more meritorious." than, than um, even those massively abundant, expensive offering and those other uh, sort of noble and worthy qualities. So I feel like, that, again, that's a very, very significant teaching. And that uh, that seeing of Anicca, that true recognition of impermanence and uncertainty, that, uh, why would he say that's so powerful, that's so meritorious, that's so important, uh, that sort of outweighs all those other kinds of of, of offerings or the, uh, those other kinds of practices. Uh, to, you know, to me, when I was reflecting on this um, earlier today, uh, it, I, I came to my mind that really, that true seeing of Anicca, that the, uh, the, when the heart truly sees impermanence, that is a uh, uh, that is also Dhammadaana. Uh, one of the, the things that Lumpochai used to say is that uh, he he often he would. Uh, like the Buddha, he could make these statements that would really get your attention. And one of the the, the statements or comments that Ajahn Chah would make was uh, that uncertainty is the Buddha. ben I'm not sure that's exactly the words he would use, but that's how it's uh, put into his Dhamma books. Uncertainty is the Buddha. I think what? How how does that work? <laughs> uncertainty is the Buddha, uh, and then he would he would explain it say. Um, the the Dhamma, the, the the truth of the way things are is that all things are uncertain, all things are maithiang, uh, uh, they're impermanent, they're, they're uncertain, they're in a state of change. The Buddha said, if you see the Dhamma, you see me, if you see me, you, you see the Dhamma. So, uh, in this way, the truth of uncertainty is the Buddha. If you can follow the follow the logic... <laughs> if the if the dhamma is the truth of uncertainty and if you see the buddha you see the dhamma if the, in that way the buddha and the dhamma are equivalent therefore the the buddha is uncertainty then uh, lompochao went on to explain what this means is that the mind uh, that is awake uh, and knows uh, the the truth of uncertainty is the buddha mind that is the puru uh, the one who knows that is the awake aware mind and that uh, Again, is the is the, is the embodiment of dhamma. So that uh, uh, if this isn't too complicated, I would say when the mind, uh, the heart truly knows the truth of anicca, then it is embodying the dhamma. It is uh, that is the uh, the the presence or of, of the uh, the actualization of the dhamma, the realization of dhamma, right there in that so that it's not just thinking the word anicca 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 or mine 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 it, it, it's not just the, the holding the word in your thoughts but uh, that a real change of vision that seeing things differently that uh, the, the way the mind holds its experience. And if that quality of uncertainty, of quam maineh, is really seen, uh, then there's a, a letting go, a letting go of seeing things as solid or permanent or predictable, and a letting go of the sense of I and me and mine as a solid, independent uh, entity. Uh, let's go of the subject, let's go of the object. And so, that right there, there is the mind is awake, is aware, and very peaceful and free in, in that moment. So, uh, 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 in this respect, I, I, I feel that dhammadaana, the giving of dhamma, is also in that uh, uh, that is say actualized, that is made real uh, by the mind uh, awakening to uh, anicca, seeing impermanence, and that a way that we can do this. Uh, uh, again, following lumpu Cha's advice uh, is that, uh, and he was extremely skilled, uh, brilliant, at uh, giving very, very simple practices uh, that that cut very deeply through our delusions. He said, if you want to develop the Anicca Sanya, whenever your mind makes a judgment, it says, oh, this is really good, ask yourself, is that so? If your mind says, oh, that's really awful, ask yourself, is that so? If your mind, uh, <coughs> It says, "Oh, this is just what I wanted." Ask yourself, "Is that so?" If you, if, if your mind says, "Oh, this is this is just what I didn't want," ask yourself, "Is that so?" <laughs> uh, whenever the mind judges, has an opinion, uh, it uh, it takes uh, uh, has uh, takes hold of something. You have a feeling of ownership, like this is mine. Is that so? <laughs> then this simple way is how we can bring that anicca sanya, that perception of anicca, to life. You have to do it to make it work. (laughs) It's like you have to get in the car and drive it to get somewhere. You have to employ this uh, for it to have a good effect. Uh, But if you do, then uh, I I can promise that it will really change the way that your life is experienced. And uh, uh, so if you, if you make this a, a simple practice, it doesn't mean that you won't be able to make decisions or be effective in your work or in your relationships or in your life, uh, but rather you find there's a lot more space in the world. There's a lot more space in the, the relationships you have with people. There's a lot more space in the workplace, in the family, in, in the, the political arena, uh, in the monastery. <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, it takes an effort to remember to do that, because we so easily get caught up in, we like something, and we say, yes, yeah, good, or we dislike something, oh, that's bad. Uh, and we believe that. But it's, So it takes an effort to, to see that judgment being made, and then step back and say, is that so? Is that so? Is that so? Ching Le? Is that, is that so? <laughs> and, and then when you ask that question, Ching Le, uh, is that so? Is that true? then just watch what happens in the jitta when you do that. There's a, oh, (laughs) there's a a spaciousness, a a relaxation that that happens. At least in my mind, that's what happens. And... uh, uh, so, uh, um, by uh, by way of finishing the dhamma talk today, I offer that for consideration and encouragement. There are these different ways that we can carry on the practice of dana, amisa dana, material giving, abhaya abhayadana, the giving of fearlessness, and then dhamma dana, the the offering of dhamma uh, and embodying dhamma and being that uh, the presence of dhamma in the, in the world and and then we can see the the beautiful uh, say illuminating enriching effects of of those kinds of offering Ewan.